0: I say that to parents too, I'm like, these are not soft skills. These are our skills for today. These are 21st century skills that are so important. And we have to address them in, in a learning environment.
1: My name is Luke. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a librarian at Wilson Middle School in Natick, Massachusetts.
2: And I'm Ella Stocker. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the librarian at Amherst Regional High School in Amherst, Mass.
1: We're joined today by Colleen Simpson. Colleen, do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Colleen Simpson. I'm a teacher, uh, librarian at the Gates, Lesser J. Gates Middle School in Citroët, Massachusetts. My pronouns are she, her.
1: Colleen had an article in the recent forum. Continuing to talk about her experience in um, a decentralized library, uh, and Ella actually reminded me that you had a full, uh, a conference presentation about this. I feel like a few years ago, or something like that, or was something. What conference
0: presentation? Yeah, well, or was I it was, it was supposed well. to. <laughs> I was supposed to in twenty. Maybe that's what it in was in twenty twenty. Yeah, and
2: yeah. I think I was like signed up for it and really excited about it. So that's must be where my memory
0: is. <laughs>
1: Because I remember looking at the proposal, so that that must have been what it was. Because Ella and I were both on the conference committee that year.
0: Yeah, I was going to talk about it, and so um, if people aren't sick of it yet, then I'm happy to talk about it more. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I guess we'll. I'll, I'll I'll throw a plug for the forum. Like as as far as we're describing things, when I was reading it, it really helped me to have those pictures. So as we talk about this stuff at least pertaining to the decentralized library, I would definitely check that out for the visuals.
2: Um, Colleen, so you are one of, I would say, relatively few librarians, at least here in Massachusetts, that I'm aware of, who have a decentralized library. (laughs) And so I think just to start, I'd love to sort of get a definition from you about what is a decentralized library, and and how did it come about in your school? Like, how involved were you in that process, or is this something that you inherited? Um, So I
0: started, I was previously an English teacher at the high school in Cidruitt, and um, as I was getting this uh, licensure, this job at the middle school opened up after having been vacant for a while. And we were in an older building, it was 1916 is the, the cornerstone of the previous building And we They, when I was hired for this position, which was being reiterated, partially because of, I think, some of the, um, is it the, the Massachusetts Building Association, whatever it is, the School Building Association, um, kind of regulations for accepting the money from the state to build the new building, which had not yet been officially voted on by the town, um, was you need to have a library media specialist as well. Um, Although they wanted it, there was an open position in terms of like spot where kids could teach, how I could be a teacher. um, I went, I I ended up accepting this job, going to a very traditional, traditional middle school, traditional um, building, knowing though, that I'd be right back to the same campus, you know assuming that it would pass for the town right away though we already had by the time i was kind of entering it we did already have the um architects we already had the design firm going into it and so i was definitely a part of conversations and it kind of for the most part already been determined that what i think i visualized as an open concept which i think that that's people think of kind of from the, like the 70s, that idea that, but it still exists in some people. That's kind of what I envisioned from what they were telling me. They definitely involved like all the specialists in decisions. They kind of told me an idea and then I started to understand a little bit that um, they might have been using. I don't think they were using the word decentralized at the point, um, but that I would have this desk in, this, in the heart of the, the building. And then the shelves would be everywhere. And until I saw the design plans and just like, like Luke said, like, you kind of really need to see it to understand it. I'm not sure that like what I thought was going to happen, you know, year one of me teaching versus the three years later when it was actually built. Um, I, there's no way I could envision it. So when I got there and all it, up leading up to it, a lot of the department heads had been there like, oh my God, you have the best space. And I was like, oh great. And then I go through the walkthrough and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh! this is not what I thought at all. Um, but I think that like in those early conversations that they they had with us, I do think that they listened to me, but I think what I learned later in presenting actually at, at various, at, like to a design conference and a state um, building conference later, as I really got to talk to the, the architects and the design firm after the fact, is that um, they wanted to have a learning commons in the middle of every single team area. So there could be a library in every single team area, um, but the way they were gonna design it, so if we wanna do that, well, then we can't have a separate library, you know? So um, they decided, okay, well, let's, what if we put the shelves throughout the building, as opposed to otherwise they're going in a classroom and that's all the space you're gonna get. And there's like, that's impossible. There's no way that's gonna happen. So, right um I did feel in the months leading up to the opening when it was really like the interior designers that were a part of it that I got to have some great conversations with them and we could start to see how this is going to lay out and what the space was going to be there was no doubt I was going to have to cut weed a lot and I had worked on that for like three years um but I still didn't know what kind of shelving I would have and how much and that was true of everyone in the building All of us were told, you better, and this is actually very healthy for teachers, educators in general, to excessively weed the stuff you don't need, especially in a digital era, right? Right. Um, So, yeah, so it all came about, and then once it opened, it was really a matter of like, now, how do I do this? And I had already made the commitment, I was going to Johnify everything before, as I moved, that was just going to be, we were going to be supplied with all of these boxes, so we might as well do it now. But then, how do I place it all? And I um, got a couple of student volunteers, rising freshmen, they could learn, earn some hours, and um, that was really helpful. And we just kind of set it up based on what we had. And I had we had to return the boxes right away, right? Like you didn't get I didn't get months to unpack. I, I got we we got like the first week of school, the uh, first week beforehand, the week of school to unpack, and then just over time, it's kind of evolved. To like oh, maybe this doesn't fit right here, or maybe this moves over here better. So. Um, just it's hard to put a visual but each place um, has kind of each team area has um, a separate section where there are shelves and so each I have several genres in each part of those those different shelves and then genres that I feel like either need the most assistance or are the most popular tend to be closer to my space
1: and just to like put a that was like a great explanation exactly i think what paints it in our uh in our uh, listeners heads but also the idea of where your desk is located is it with the youngest grade in that common area or in the middle grade i couldn't remember it, it's
0: right in between the sixth and seventh grade right. and um what goes down from there is the dining commons which it, it has a heller upstairs that goes all the way down. So picture high school musical and dancing in the common. <laughs> it, it actually is relatively similar to that. And in, in fact, every once in a while kids, every new group of kids, I always feel like it's in like world languages or something. They end up doing some kind of high school musical uh, thing. So I'm in the middle of the building. I see everyone. Um, and then there is uh, this this space where some of those sections are that I can like see is uh, at the other side of the top of the helper.
1: And just to clarify, too, going back to the very beginning, you said that you were kind of envisioning, like, the words open plan, mm-hmm. right, um, versus decentralized. And I love the kind of, like, slight minutiae in the difference mm-hmm. there. Can you explain, like, like were you thinking, like, it was going to be a room, but you were going to be able to see across the whole room with your desk in the center as the library with open plan, but then the decentralized was what, what, what you just described?
0: Yeah, I was really expecting um when I got the job and whatever the principal didn't know either but she when I got the job she's like picture like Panera with uh books and I'm like oh that sounds fun and delightful and who would want that um and then when I and I got there and I'm like oh this isn't that at all this is um really my desk exists but like it's 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 in the open so what I think um you know, to be quite frank, I think the, the idea kind of really scares a lot of librarians. Um, and I also think people who kind of live, and I, I, my own high school was very open concept, um, or at least I, I, I student taught in open concept high school. And I can see how that would be very scary to other people. Um, so then once you're there and the books are just everywhere, there's not really a space that I'm in charge of. And I think that's the huge difference between open concept, you'd still be in charge of that same space where I have a desk, but like, really, I have shelves throughout the building, but I'm not in charge of those spaces.
1: So decentralized in terms of space, but also kind of in terms of oversight or power for like a more general term. Mm -hmm. I, um, I was always fascinated with stories around like design and libraries and the friction between the two, like Uh, The biggest example that I remembered reading about in grad school was the like Central Library in Seattle and this battle between kind of like the practicality of the informational professionals versus the beauty and the artistic statement of the um, of the architecture professionals. And um, I think that was in in and around like the beginning of the aughts where they kind of had this, you know, (laughs) soft war going on for sure. But you had some experience going to like a design conference. Can you explain what it was like talking to them?
0: Yeah, so that was really interesting. Um, so this was maybe a year after, maybe it was at the end of the first year uh, that we opened that um, they had, the, the designers had asked me to be a part of it. Uh, uh, it was a little overwhelming, but I was I was excited to be there because this is, I think maybe this is the great thing about Be A Librarian is that we generally interact with people from all types of professions and content areas and, and stuff. And so this was fascinating. Um, and it was it was taking place, um, it's a national conference and it was taking place at um, uh, near MIT that hired over there. And so um, what we had met a couple of times with a designer and then their lead education, because they do a lot of education firms, uh, but education design. Um, and we talked about like, what were the param- the the designers themselves talked about the concept and the parameters. Um, and it wasn't until then, until after the fact, that I kind of really understood, okay, how this came into being and how it worked. And then, then what I could provide with them were the statistics that showed how it was working. Um, because I think the part about it, it's wonderful if. They all. We always should be included in the conversation, right? In the design conversation. That that's definitely like something.
1: Happen. That's definitely something we can provide, though. Walking around <laughs> a space with a clipboard and g- gathering that action research. So that's funny that that they asked you for that.
0: Yeah, and it, it, we should always be included in it. But I feel like um, then they don't necessarily always follow up, you right. know, and so. It was nice to have them. And then we ended up presenting again to, um, it was like the story of our school and then people come in and they look and there was actually a retired librarian who consults and she was just like, she stayed after to talk to me and she was just <laughs> fascinating. So it made me feel good because sometimes again, people people can look at it, they can see the results and they can see the success of it, but then still be like, like nervous. Even like parents in the community, when we did the opening day, I had come for the ribbon cutting and I was just going to stay like 10 minutes. I ended up staying for like, Way past the time because everybody was um, it, the the emotions ranged. I would say <laughs> it was it, people were still very like nervous about it. And actually, that forum article that I just created, one of our newer teachers, she's like, I think we should maybe have that required reading for anyone who teaches now <laughs> in the building, and maybe for parents. I'm like, oh well Thank i think sure. it
2: gets to that thing that you mentioned about you know or the idea of sort of like it it does sort of remove some of your or decentralizes some of the power of the librarian in a way that i think actually a lot of librarians probably would like to have less power in their or to remove power structures i think that's like a great goal of, of school librarians especially but it's also it's like it's hard because i think we all feel like we have to defend our jobs and defend our role and i think a lot of people see the space that they provide as like something that they have to defend so Um, you know, shifting that perspective to be about more about the services that you're providing and the relationships you're providing to students, I think is a really valuable perspective shift. I know for me, it makes me feel very panicky, but I'm also really curious about it. So,
0: (laughs) well, I'll tell you why, um, why it kind of works and why it might not in other places, too. Um, I do teach full. I have a full, the same schedule as any other specials teacher, as the same amount of classes as any teacher. And so I'm built into the schedule. I mean, essentially, I'm you know we're doing two jobs when we have that situation. But it's less pressure than when I had the traditional library because I still had the schedule then. Because I don't have to shift the space. I'm teaching in a regular classroom, so nobody has to reserve anything for me. Um, there aren't there isn't any equipment for someone to check out for me because all of our classrooms are equipped with um, the things that they need. Um, if they need the heller up space, they just book it in the front office you know there's no um we have some presentation spaces throughout the building that has a google form to do it so any like intrepidation that i might feel or like nervousness about like what it is i do is is taken away and i can i'm free now in that respect to focus on my curriculum and my coursework and you know working with the kids and then because of that though and this is this is probably true of the decentralized location is that i have to have self-checkout and one of the questions is kind of interesting people ask this uh what do i do well i do pen and paper self-checkout on forms and the reason i do that is because um i talked to our tech our it director when we first opened i'm like well i was thinking ipads in every section And he's like really we're gonna have like five sections with an ipad so what happens when it goes bad are you gonna be checking in on that every time um and i'm like you know what you're right sometimes the most the best technology we have is pencil and paper <laughs> and, work, work and kids, for thousands of years <laughs> I know, right? and they kept I, I just put them um in little containers all over the building um and and also at my desk and they know to bring it at my desk and they know where to put it and um in the, the teachers the ela teachers are and that then i have to work really i have this great presentation the ELA teachers put it in their class google classrooms for all their classes um i share it though with all the teachers in fact during um last year during our, you know, weird schedule, we were hybrid the whole year until, and then we all came back in mid April and we had extra enrichment time that we didn't really have and didn't come back to. So there were a lot of teachers who had never really thought about how I checked things out or anything. So I just sent it to them and they're like, Oh my gosh, get these kids. They they, they don't have, they have too much time now. And so, you know, it's funny how in those times, because it's Self checkout, they don't need me as much, and I don't know how it would operate without a person.
1: You know, checkout basically is they can be in any one of these learning commons and pull a book, and yeah. they grab a little form that's what like the size of a half sheet, and then they walk yeah. it to your desk and drop it off, or is there like drop boxes yeah. in the in the various spaces?
0: They walk it to my desk, and yeah. um, just I mean, any middle schooler uh, needs. And just like high schoolers and, and elementary needs to take a walk. And uh, the usually, right. typically, I would say the if like, of course, you have your regulars that are always checking out books and they are the the best at it. And they, they never need me there. They're, they're always checking out books. But then if let's say that's independent, they're checking out independent reading. Typically, the teachers give me a heads up and it's always like within the same like the same grade level is doing it yeah. at the same Within the same couple days, because it can be excessively overwhelming, as we found out during the first three weeks of school in the new building, that you got to give me a heads up. You got to let me know that this is happening and they're all going to be inundating me at once, which is probably true in any library. But um, yeah, so they just walk into my desk and um, and if they don't know how to do it, kids will help them out. I do think like sixth grade is the best time to really like get them to understand it. So that's, you know, and we, we try to do as much as possible with the sixth grade. It's a little bit challenging though, because my teaching schedule is the exact same as the sixth grade core classes. So I really have to work with those teachers to kind of like, that, that really my sixth grade ELA teachers, they do so much to like help the kids understand.
1: And then are you doing like data entry, like with these little slips or something like that? Yeah, I just
0: put in the number. Like yeah,
1: yeah. That makes sense for the bulk checkups then. So cool. Yeah. Um, but I do like kind of getting rid of that duplicatable aspect of the bureaucracy, like like booking spaces, right. Can be done by other people in the school. And if central office is going to take care of it, it's like, it's like, please go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> my goal has been to get my laminator out of the library because I, my assistant currently does all the lamination for the building. And, um, uh, I'm like, I, I would love that to be <laughs> at the library because it's it, it can be done by somebody else. And I just think you're always in that interesting bind, right, of, like like you alluded to earlier, of wanting to feel like you're showing people that you're supporting them all the time. But also wanting to stick to that curriculum stuff and stick to, you know, what, what, what is really important as a school library teacher.
0: Yeah. And it's funny that you say about the laminator. I remember, and I think maybe coming from that um, high school English teacher, the first time somebody asked me about the laminator, I'm like, I don't know more than you. Like I, I just walked in here, so you're gonna know more. And luckily, I had we had a, a wonderful paraprofessional that she works with the kids, but she had kind of taken over that role. Then I uh, I said go to. I have no desire to be an expert in it. I never became an expert in it. Yeah, it I feel very fortunate. fortunate. Yeah. We have a
2: we have our copy center in the library, um, but it's not my responsibility. It's a para educator who's amazing who works with students most of the day and then comes in. Before school and like during part of the lunch hour um, to make copies for teachers and, uh, you know, but my responsibility is basically to like let people know when she's going to be there if they're like hey do you know when she's coming in so I'm like she's amazing she does, I don't have to know what these machines do she's on top of it it's not my job. <laughs>
1: so. I
2: love that we nice it too
1: I love that we got into how the decentralized library like has us think of like responsibility and like power in this different way. And obviously space. What about in terms of like information search processes for the students or the way in which they interact with the space or just read in there or using it for those kind of, you know, third space things where they're just able to come up and and have a safe spot or a brave spot or a quiet spot. How have you seen it used in that regard?
0: So well, the learning set every every commons has every every um, team area has a library like you know library light situation in the sense when you're talking about physical space and um, I was a part of the conversation with the district as we chose furniture and um, and what a valuable conversation for anyone in a school district really but definitely for us where furniture is so much of. Do we do and I remember our previous superintendent who was instrumental in getting the building built. He's like, furniture can make or break building. And um it really can and it really can make or break our spaces. And we have really great flexible furniture in all of those learning comments areas. So um again, that's something that I'm necessarily responsible for. But up at the top of the Heller Up there and there's a there's a cafe um diagonally across from me at the other side of the top of the Heller Up that has about like five spaces, one kind of booth type rounded in the back, and then um, four other tables with chairs, a couple high top tables, and books there too. And so kids are taking advantage of the spaces across the building. I will say that we had at one point an administrator and a librarian come in and tour the building. We had a lot of tours in the early uh, years, and the librarian was like, this is awesome. And the administrator was like, well, your kids have a lot of We don't hear. And I'm like, they do. I didn't really think about that, but they do. But you're, um, we're like a technically like a PBL school. We were built with this project based learning in mind. We have to ingrain in our students a culture of collaborative learning, but also a culture of understanding space in a way that like is very like it's very forward thinking because you're not just confined to the classroom walls. The design is a part of our educating in our building and it's a part of built into our curriculum. And um, we're always working with to like kind of take advantage of that. And so if the students need me um, as the librarian or as their teacher, they'll come and see me separately during those enrichment blocks. But it does, because I'm teaching full-time in other classrooms, it does limit um, my availability. And there isn't an assistant. There's, there's no one else other than that. But I try to work as much as I can with the teachers during their various collaborative times, too. And I, we provide a lot digitally. So um, it just definitely changes us to the, the position.
1: For sure. I also, the, one of the other things too on the, on the pictures, the thing I was struck by was like just the natural light that you get that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a part of the library. Usually that's coming through like a wall, but because it overlooks like the mezzanine, right? Like the kind of top overlooks the mezzanine. You get this light that comes in, but it doesn't come in from like an immediate wall or something that you're sitting up against. And yeah. I, I feel like that just imbues it with, you know, you can't assess this feeling, right? That it gives to students or something, but it's it's definitely there, and they realize that they're in a different space, even though it's a library, that they, 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 they might already know what they can go there for.
0: They're not, they don't call it the library. Like, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm the librarian. There are books a part of the collection. But they'll be like, uh, you, a kid can go six months in the building and be like, wait, where's the library? <laughs> and you're like it's everywhere. It's it's here. And they get very used to like that space. So they'll go back to the high school and they'll have a much more traditional situation and that'll be great too. And it it'll just be it'll be different.
2: I think sort of thinking about that, like they get to have a traditional library experience later on, but they're also getting this other view of libraries, I think, is a really sort of beautiful like there's many ways for a library to exist and many ways for us to access books and access research materials. I'm curious how, what advice you would give to librarians who do have a traditional library space and like do not have the option to do any kind of decentralizing just because of the way their, their building is designed, right? We all live in these built environments and so we have to live with what we're, what we have at the moment. You know, what have you learned from your experiences as a Decentralized librarian that they could use or that you think would be beneficial for them to take into their own practice?
0: Um, I think a lot of people, and I was listening to the podcast earlier today because I, I missed that, that John, uh, the a podcast that you guys had recorded. And it's really it's just interesting perspective. Uh, for me, it was really important to genreify and to put the color coded, it had to be such a visual situation because the kids have to be so you know they have to be responsible themselves for checking out books so often and even if like say it's enrichment block and occasionally i might be able to get away well there might be like five other kids that need me right then so if you have to walk all the way down the hall and our hall it bends just a little bit but during the seventh grade so i can't i can just say it's up against this wall and it's yellow you know that's the the historical fiction or i i have to be able to guide them in the right place i have to signage obviously is so important in any library, actually in um, middle school, right? Um, whether, you know, actually they could walk by the sign five times, if not pay attention to it, but still it exists. <laughs> so the signage, the color coding, because I did, I did originally order the, um, you know, like the little caricature, like, movie strip, nonfiction, or the books that the the genre uh, stickers specifically, and it just wasn't working out. So the colors just made all the difference um, in terms of like, okay, this is clearly this one, especially if a couple sections are together. So I think that's really important, them being able to identify, and it it looks more, it feels more like a bookstore, I think, sometimes, because it's out there for you to see, and um, it takes the mystery away. There's no, like, you don't have to... I don't know if I'm shopping in a store. I want to do it on my own, so I don't really want your help unless I do, and then I and then you can you know then I want to seek you out, and so it's a little bit it, it kind of goes plays to like that kind of idea, but I will say so I always like to throw this stat out because I think it it's it's impressive, but um, that in the first year over the previous year in the traditional library, so in the first year of our building, the circulation increased 127 percent. And there's a lot to be. There's a lot of factors, much more involved. We had another another whole grade, but that grade actually the sixth grade, the first year they were just trying to they were coming from the elementary schools because we were seven and eight, and then we became six. And And they didn't really check out books the first year because the teachers were still trying to figure out you know how to how to be there. So that was a little bit of it. But then another big part, collaboration for sure, much easier collaboration with the teachers. They see me, you know, someone people have used the expression, "I'm the house bartender." Um, because they have to walk by me (laughs) and I hear everybody's problems and I hear everybody's like, you know, they just need to vent and there, there I am. So I feel like the collaboration is, is huge. And so that's one real advantage of being out in the open is that nobody has to really consciously, well, I guess if they're downstairs, they, they may seek me out a little more, Um, but, um, I think that there's a lot of like good advantages of it but also just being able to physically see and do it yourself when sometimes you are a middle school or any grade really and you don't want to ask questions you just want to be able to like can I just discuss myself and I really I also don't want to be bothered by like someone talking to me about the book I just want to or see something that you wouldn't normally have like bothered to see is, it makes it that first thing
1: about their kind of being like a passport of authority that we give these kids when they learn genre, I feel like that can be very intimidating. My collection was genrefied when I started, and we we, we it's like you're giving kids like you know call number and look for the genre mystery and the genre and this, but but color is such a universal language, and if they're going to do it on their own, that's excellent. And another thing I'm hearing in that answer is the idea that like the librarian actually can be that person even without. like a room that that people come to and are kind of you know sometimes yes a clearinghouse for emotion or something like that but also for for processing things and and whatnot you know what I mean like it doesn't necessarily have to be like a lib guide or a a quiet room that we have but it like really is the person themselves who are vital for that
0: every day someone they're walking by me and they're like hey wait you probably know the answer to this so that's, again, true in a traditional library, but now they haven't even bothered to walk, you know, the half of school length that they were going to because now they have like a central location.
1: One thing you said earlier, and I kind of experienced this at the last school that I worked at, you were comparing it to the idea of like a Starbucks. And um, the idea of an Apple store came up at my last school when they added an iLab to the library that I looked at. What do you think of that in terms of design look and corporatization of the look of some of these places? I'm trying to ask like without passing judgment um, because newer libraries do tend to look like that sometimes. And I don't know, what does that say about the idea of school libraries from your perspective?
0: I know what you're saying. Like they do kind of look, but is it is it just the style of the time though? I guess I, I don't know because if I look at our flexible furniture, that doesn't look Starbucksy. You know that doesn't. That's true. Look, yeah. Right. Right. You <laughs> know, um, it looks like it's it's cool. It's different. It's not too big because we have little bodies sometimes. And but what the furniture that we have works for both the sixth and eighth graders, which we're talking to totally physically and mentally developmentally different kids, you know, like groups of groups of students. I know exactly what you're saying when I've seen like images of other places and stuff. And, I, and we have a like redesigned um high school where it looks a little bit like that. But I think some of the technology helps change it a little bit. We have a lot of screens in our building and a lot of like conscious effort to display things. Cause so much of the work we do is digital now as opposed to like the traditional like bulletin boards and stuff. And so and we still have that too. Um, but I think having like Displays, interact. We have interactive displays too, um, which you know has its own merits and pluses and minuses in a middle school. But um, <laughs> we also have a lot of people that are conscious to look at them. But, um, but I don't know. I know it's. I know what you're interesting, and I think I was prepared for that. That Starbucks. I guess yeah. or of uh, of it but we don't really have that I, I wouldn't say that we have it so I don't know
1: yeah I don't know. I, was, I was just curious your thoughts on it I my, my kind of feeling is that even though it looks like that it belies a different set of set of criteria because you're not um, you're not paying to be there, right? Like you don't have to buy the right. coffee in order to sit down. You can just be there, and 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 nobody's going to come in and come in and ask you uh, what it is you're doing. You know what I mean? Going well, I will there. say in
0: the cafe when I when I mentioned that where the books are, there had been an original idea that it would actually be used as a cafe, and then it has a um, there's a kitchen in the back, and it has like a, the pull down gate, you know. Um, but it never it, yeah. it actually came to fruition. Um, the Courses changed because of the physical shape of the building. In our wellness class, or there used to be a foods class. Now it's a wellness class that's combined, and that that whole um that licensure changed. Yes, it's a it, whole uh, nutrition and wellness licensure, and um so that completely changed. We have kitchens in three of our upstairs classrooms, and that's where they used to cook. But they ended up never the cafe just didn't come to fruition. So whether it's the library or whether it's some of our other spaces, sometimes the ideas design don't actually come about until someone implements it. And that's what I often say to people when they they get maybe concerned, like there's always a tone of concern about my having the decentralized library. I'm like, listen, ultimately I'm still an employee and somebody designed <laughs> yeah. something and it was my job to implement it. And and that's all I could do. And and then tweak it as I went along and see how it could work best for our our students and, and our teachers too.
2: So I, I think maybe just shifting gears a little bit um, away from talking about specifically the decentralized library and more about, as you mentioned, that you have a full teaching schedule. And so um, now that you're not having to oversee a space, it does free you up to do more teaching. Um, and it sounds like part of what you do with that is a media literacy course for your seventh and eighth grade students. And so I'm really curious about this. This is a, such an important topic, especially right now in this sort of era of disinformation that we're living in. Um, so how do you approach this like really big topic with your seventh and eighth graders? And and how do you differentiate between the seventh and eighth grade in terms of how you tackle it?
0: Okay, I'm just gonna pull up some of my my back to school notes here, because I, 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 this is exactly what I tell uh, uh, parents, um, but and I kind of got perfected that over the years, too, in terms of uh, how I say that. But it, it's, it's evolved over time, of course, as any class should. And as media literacy is always changing, that I, I try to keep on top of everything as, as best as I can. Um, it started out with, and I would say the seventh grade class is pretty much basically essentially the same format as it's been since I started eight years ago, I think. Um, so it is more of, I would say, seventh grade is really more information literacy. Like, let's, all the stuff we traditionally think about in terms of research. As I said, we're a project-based school. We were all, like, trained by the, you know, Institute um, to, to to work with that. But really what I do is essentially a project-based learning, only I do it individually because I need to be able to, like, see that you can demonstrate the skills that you have. So, very traditional. The kids, we, we start out with, you know, you know, we look at what are primary and secondary sources, which I know they know, but so it's kind of like a refresh and then um, do a lot of like w- traditional web evaluation discussion. Like, how do you do this? What are the best ways? Here's some examples. Here's some good, here's some, you know, bad. I, I, um, I've moved away from showing like bad or fake news websites and more towards let's analyze what is out there and let's look at it as opposed to let's those, you know, there's those list of um, websites that, oh, here, how could we use this? I really wanna like take what we really have, take what you really can go to and let's um, evaluate it. And I look at, I look at a couple different ways. I, I do tell them about the CREP test because it's seventh grade and that's fun. Um, and I can talk about like, I always started, I'm like, some librarians aren't sure that seventh graders can handle crap, <laughs> but I think you all deal in that every day, don't you? And they like laugh and, you know, funny. but I also talk about SIFT and I, and I show them other things and I'm like, these are all ways to evaluate. But they're also ex- obsessively long ways to evaluate. I just want you to be thinking about the ideas behind them as you're doing that we go through kind of like traditional um I, I look a lot at like spend a whole day on photo and video manipulation um, with some classic examples uh, of that as well and then we kind of just do practicing like let's practice using my bed let's practice um going to the state databases and learning how to cite them let's practice this and then they have a choice topic they get to just about it's pretty open I give them a huge list of past topics that kids have done so that they have something to go off of they can't do a person because we're not writing biographies and so the information they get is going to be pretty much the same everywhere they go for this short of an assignment or this it's not a long time you have like a couple weeks Um, they cannot do the history of a sport because um, we know how poor the information is. It'll be like the South Shore Sports Center, you know? And that that might happen- Yes, they
1: they cannot do the history of a sport. I have a sixth grade research class and that's what every student who picks their sport topic do. I go, okay, what's your essential question gonna be? And they say how did it start <laughs> and I go through this whole thing about well there are recorded forms of this sport being played over maybe you know tens of thousands of years and then I just I just I'm like okay you can't do the history of a sport you need to connect it to some other topic if you're going to ask that so I'm so glad that you just said that <laughs> yeah
0: well I, and I think I didn't really know it until like the first couple rounds of the yeah. class. i was like Oh, yeah. wow you're getting really bad stuff like it's <laughs> yeah. not that it's wrong it's just like i don't want you going to like the local sports center website to get your information yeah, but yeah. i think well, you can do some complicated topic within sports and i give them some examples like injuries like acl tears cte you know
1: even the gender pay gap with yes, megan right. Rapino, the like that was a great like eye-opening like all these soccer fans were just like i want to study soccer and do history of right. soccer and i'm like why don't you do like this gender pay gap thing? Because it's all about soccer. Like it's so important to to listen to these people and tell their story. And it's it's actually the modern issues that the sport mm-hmm. is going through. Yeah, I'm yeah, just I'm same so, stuff. so validated here. <laughs>
0: no, and, and it's it's absolutely like I'll try to give them more. Let's be on. Plus, you're trying to push them, like especially like seventh graders. They're just they're just getting into that like developmental place of like really thinking outside themselves. And and so um anything that like why the kids like they trip like sports gambling is like a current hot topic or oh, yeah. um betting like referee scandals within that, you know, like that mm-hmm. that happened in the past. So um that's pretty much all I limit. Um is just like a, away from this. But a lot of times kids will be looking into like diseases and um history. If you're a history buff you can you that if you're science buff so many in sciences kids are really into psychology there are a few things that i think over the years i've learned to limit in terms of like like there's some psychological things that are just not appropriate for like seventh grade, you know, like we'll we'll look into it, but I don't really know until it happens, just like any teaching.
1: Usually I find you can interrogate a little bit with some of the more serious topics. And I've had kids, uh, you know, choose some things that are especially like either psychological or like terminal illnesses and stuff like that. And, you know, some kids are are picking it to kind of be funny and some Mm -hmm. kids are doing it because they have family members that are experiencing it or something like that. And I, I found, you know, the former to be pretty quickly to like reel back on it and stop joking and, and, and pick something that they actually enjoy. Um, but the latter, you know, they, they get, they get really interested and they, they can, you know, maybe use a family member as a source sometimes, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're definitely right. There are some topics where they start talking and you're like, you really want to tackle this because mm-hmm. this is, it's, it's, it's a road that you're going to go down that is going to be pretty intense or, I love when a kid picks a topic that we don't know a lot about, like a lot of brain research or something. I was like, you need to upfront say that, like, this source only is kind of like hypothetical, or like, we only really know 30% of what's going on here.
0: And yeah. the kids are, I'm um, and I don't know if it's because they've had so much time to spend on their devices, but this year I found a lot of different topics too. Like, one student, mm-hmm. I was so impressed. She's like, can I do the pink tax? I'm like, Oh, seventh grade, okay, <laughs> ready up, let's go. This is, um, and, um, but I also do, if there's a, something like that, I'm like, are you comfortable with that? Because you're gonna have to do a presentation. Are you also comfortable presenting this in front of your audience? And so audience is a big part of um, PBL. And so we always talk about like, this is, you wanna think about that. That's true of your your sources. So they do an annotated bibliography on it. Um, and, then, um, and then they do a final uh, presentation um and they have to present and so i do limit they cannot repeat in the, inside the class um you know i have two classes of each going at the same time so they they uh, another class could be doing it but um we all want to see something different. so you know we we don't want to hear the same stuff and so that's seventh grade and that really deals with like when we're coming to like if someone's gonna you know, say, where is that, where's that standard? Well, we know they're the digital literacy standards and I list those all for the teachers, but specifically in seventh grade, there's a a standard in the ELA um, state standards that talk about that, about not only MLA citation, but like about research and stuff. And so then I can connect that there. Eighth grade is totally different. (laughs) Yeah, it really is, it it really is very different. Um, The essential questions in eighth grade, and that evolved over time. It kind of started as the same the very first year, Everybody did the same thing. And then my time was limited in the old building because um, guidance was actually being taught in those classes. Um, so then when we opened up the new building, it was just my class. And so um, I got the full six weeks to work with the kids. And so um, I decided, hey, this is, what's my expertise? What else could I expand on this? They've already done like the choice topic. And having been like an English and journalism teacher, I, there wasn't a civics place really anywhere, especially in middle school. And so and who knew, you know, one year later, there would be yeah. um, So <laughs> yeah. it worked out great. So I decided that I was going to change that up and really make media literacy the focus. So um, my essential questions for eighth grade have to do specifically with um, with those with media literacy and news literacy. And so then I take a civics. I believe it's called in the standards called the topic um, specifically. But it is about, um, I'll read it to you, explain how the free press supports the democratic government and recognize the difference between fact and well-supported opinion and unsupported opinion. So that's from the eighth grade civic standard. And um, then my essential questions are, why is media literacy important for citizens in today's democracy? And what role do individuals play as digital citizens? And we kind of start that out basically by doing a, a media log, a personal media log. What do you do from 3 p.m. till you go to bed to, at night? And then connect that to the questions I ask about it. Um, why doesn't anyone watch news? Because you know there's going to be a very small percentage that don't watch news. And then a whole bunch of them, are like, well, well, I read it. Well, it's on like Snapchat feed or it's on that. It. Like, see, but you're, you're ingesting news somehow, you're getting it somehow. Yeah. Um, and that makes a nice transition to talking specifically about news literacy, but doing like a basic, like, here's some of the historical things that news, you know. Bill Graham said, "News is our first rough, dra- journalism is our first rough draft of history, and so how does that connect with our understanding of media? And, um, and the world just keeps on supplying us with lots of things to back that up, right? And so we move specifically into news literacy, into and then into media literacy, and they also do a, a the same very it ends kind of the same way, where they are doing an annotated bibliography and a research." Um, paper, but they're focusing on a question specifically, and it's a First Amendment specific question. So they can choose any parts of the First Amendment, which we've already gone into like great detail in the interim about that, um, that they want. And again, different topics so that we all learn and that was one of the things in COVID that was hard because we weren't presenting. And so the kids were missing out on um, the information that their classmates would provide.
1: In uh, their yeah. yeah, the inquiry community thing is really big in those classes too, especially when you're giving them agency to like choose. It's always exciting in the presentation part where kids are just like, wow, like you looked into that, huh?" you know, and, and when they really start asking each other questions, that's like kind of the the exciting part. Usually it's towards the end of the class, the way I schedule it. So it's like, I got a grade tonight, I, but I just, I, it was just such a great class, you know, to have them bouncing questions off each other and like asking for like deep clarification because they're, they're generally picking things that they're interested in.
0: I think that that's such a huge part of like all education that now. have. Voice and choice makes can make or break the situation for kids. And 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 so in some ways that limits sometimes the eighth grade because they have to choose different topics and they all want to be different. But <laughs> um But I do think- Can you
1: say that they, one more time? They all have to choose different topics. They have they to choose, choose a
0: different research question um, because again, audience is still a part of that. So we still right. have to be thinking that. And so um, if First Amendment is the overarching topic that they have to look into, it gets a little bit, they do have to be a little bit, more specific and it's not as free in terms of what that is so it does limit it a little bit but it's also part of this this
2: is also encouraging to me i feel like (laughs) i'm in a high school so i'm not the same age group but you know media literacy is something that i I think our high school students are currently not getting in our our curriculum um or not in a direct like there are kids who take journalism who get it very Mm -hmm. intensively and everyone does a civics projects and gets like certain elements of it but I think it's overall it's something that our middle schoolers do but not our high schoolers and so this is giving me I'm like writing down little notes on the side here of sort of get this into some of our high school classes so this is fused with great ideas
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so because Colleen I met a I met a fifth through eighth middle school in the fifth grade take media lit so like that's what that class is called but the sixth grade does a dedicated research class in the library and it's like a half a term class. So it's it's, it's quite quick, but I kind of do that like agency seventh grader research project that you do at the end of your media class for the entire time with my sixth graders. And that's where all that choice comes in. I find the fifth grade being kind of too young is some of the discussions that you really want to get into with media literacy. They're very altruistic and things are very black and white. So when you're talking about things like, you know, cyberbullying, you know, it's just, oh, well, mean people do that. And I'm not a mean person is kind of you know, I'm simplifying it greatly, but like th- that's about where the kids go with it. So I've tried to do like that Brandy Levy case that came in or Brandy Levy. I might be saying it wrong out in Pennsylvania, which really kind of changed the Supreme Court hearing on like speech outside of school versus inside of school, you know. But doing <laughs> it with fifth graders, you know, they we just kind of read the Nuzella article and summarized it, you know. Right. Whereas I think it really actually, the rubber is meeting the road in those upper grades in middle school where you're first interacting with social media. Mm-hmm. And that is where the conversation, I think, is most vital.
0: Well, you know, when we were, again, when we were adding the sixth grade when we opened this building, so we had to think, where are the specials going to go? Because we're not hiring a new teacher for these things, so they can only teach two grades. Where is it going to get? In? There are there are things that I wish I could be working more with the sixth grade, and so the sixth grade social studies teachers. I actually did um, summer workshops. uh, We we all did together, like curriculum development workshops with social studies, and it was great to be a part of that because we kind of did like tiered kind of like curriculum, making sure that everything would kind of like work together and where it is. So sure. there is much more conscious effort in social studies to really look at this, but again, and also health and wellness cover it too. They, but they cover kind of the safety and security part. You know, we have a tech class that covers a lot of it too, but I think that um, you're right. Not every kid, fifth and sixth grader has a device and it's, I, I, or is on social media and I don't want to, I don't even know my grade, grade, but um. They're ready because of the civics to have the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And to understand it and to wrap their head around some of those more complex ideas.
1: Yeah, and it's a good foundation for when they do get there. But we have the same thing in our school too. The tech, um, the tech education teachers, they they have like a strong digital citizenship component to it, which I think is excellent.
0: Yeah, and I think when I talk about digital citizenship, I kind of tell them that like I'm talking about you not necessarily in your safety sense, although that's a part of it, but I'm talking about you as a human being interacting with other human beings. And how does that, what does that mean for our democracy, you know? And so it's, it is refreshing. And just like um, what you're saying, Eli, is that why did this come out of, a lot of it came out of me being a journalism teacher and realizing that how come my students in this class that are like juniors and seniors are kind of the only kids who are getting this directed, you know, it's it's happening across the curriculum, but in snippets and stuff. There's so sometimes it's just that direct conversation about what this means is really important. And I say that to parents too. I'm like, these are not soft skills. These are our skills for today. These are 21st century skills that are so important. We have to address them in in a learning environment.
1: Having been like a journalist before I came to education too, sometimes it's just feeling like imbued with the experience around it. Mm -hmm. Makes it a little bit easier to talk about some of these issues too. Um, I feel like you mentioned that in a meeting at some point, or somebody was mentioning that idea of just being able to like, read a legal document or read some kind of like technical terminology sometime and really parse through it it's like people will feel comfortable around you when you're discussing some of these issues you know like for example around censorship and books I think was the thing we were discussing right and it's just like yeah yeah no this isn't political like this is something that our profession has put me forth to talk about with kids Mm -hmm. and if you want to discuss it I'm here to do that
0: I mean, the Supreme Court is such like a big idea. So when the kids get into looking at First Amendment court cases, they're looking at this legal stuff that I know if I was in eighth grade, it would have been such a big idea. But then there are resources like OEA.org is common. Like OEA is what we use really. And I'm like, you can look at fine law. You can look at that. But that's big, harsh legal terminology. that's <laughs> yeah. so complicated. Let's go to this. And what a wonderful source that OEA is to help break down court cases and we're, we're following it like the second the BL which is Levi like was was decided you know some kids were right in the middle of their project and they're like look at this it's like it's updated today and, <laughs> but but all of that stuff is it's important and it's it's directly related to the civics curriculum.
2: yeah I think it's really great to tie that together tie that with the civics curriculum I think that's something that You know as the civics curriculum sort of starts to get rolled out in schools more intensively and as schools are sort of experimenting with what to do with the civics curriculum i think especially in eighth grade and and 11th grade you know i think we see this this real need to find a way to like connect that with some other i think as you said like they're they're not soft skills they're hard skills they're very important skills and so how do we tie that into the curriculum And i think civics is a great place to do it and so i i'm feeling very inspired by this so (laughs)
1: Colleen, we usually like to close out by asking, what have you been reading or watching or listening to? Some kind of media recommendation that you can give our listeners as people scramble for their Goodreads account at this part <laughs> is the
2: uh, is the way that it goes. And this is the, the segment is like the Goodreads scr- scramble. <laughs>
0: um, I, our scramble. gosh, I'm all over over the place. Um, I really I hope every librarian has taken advantage of um, the free ACLs on FM. I um, have, I'm never sure exactly what to take advantage of on this, this free, but then all of a sudden you start hearing about things if you bruise them for the month. So I try to take advantage of that and I listen to an awful lot. I'm currently taking advantage of our Sora app because we do do use Sora that's really been a great part of our system and I'm listening right now to Last Night at the Telegraph Club. Uh, I'm also reading Last
2: Night
0: at the Telegraph Club. So good and I'm still waiting Um, as a middle school as anyone who's a middle school um, knows it's a fine line to uh, what works and what is developmentally appropriate and what works and so far I'm halfway through and I, I, it feels okay, but I'm not sure yet. So what we'll, we'll see is that. But I'm also reading it to enjoy it as well. What am I watching? Um, now I'm watching um, Emily in Paris. <laughs> I just needed something like... Fun, but also, like on the weekends with my husband, I watch Ozark, so it's it's all over the place. Oh, and The Gilded Age too. So I've got quite a quite a random collection of, of things that I, I'm watching. And then I think the the print book that I have right now is I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Um, still, I'm working through that. And whatever time I have, I feel like I'm all over the media space when it comes to my entertainment. And I never used to be like that. I used to be like I'm only focusing on one thing. And so now I, I kind of have accepted the role of many things.
1: You're decentralizing like, your I'm personal habits, yeah. too. <laughs> Incredible. To bring,
2: it, to bring it back to our original topic.
1: <laughs> I love when it wraps up perfectly like that. It's great. Do they call that
0: a callback. That's uh, right. That's in, right. Me,
1: Incredible. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for talking to us this afternoon. This is great. We're hoping to get out more episodes where we just talk to people about, like, this multifaceted kind of job that we have and we did some decentralizing and we did some media lit so we thank you immensely for talking to us
0: well thank you for having me thanks so much
2: let me remind myself what it is is it <laughs> podcast at msla.com or whatever ml school libraries.com that's correct yeah all
1: right i'll say that again yeah give it to us again you can reach
2: our email address is podcast at m a dot org. And we'd love to hear from you
1: and check out our back episodes we have some other things going on colleen referenced one of our old episodes which i don't even think has happened before so there's definitely some things for folks a to
2: podcast listen. first
0: and, there's um, many, many
2: great old ones and many more to come we're, we're so happy to have had colleen on today and we look forward to hearing from more of you as we continue our podcast adventures
1: and if you'd like to be one of those people uh getting involved in the future just reach out to us
2: we'd love to hear what you have to say have a great day Thank mm-hmm. you.